So today we have funerals and discipleship hour, obeying the government in the in the worship service. So, you know, really, um, I'm sure you're enthused. Um, let me let me give you um, uh, let me talk about a few things before we jump into today's material. Um, just schedule wise, we're going to wrap up um, talking about funerals this week, and then uh, the 21st and the 28th will be the the concluding. Uh, two lessons in this series, Finishing Well. So Craig's going to talk about the glory of aging bodies and the glory of aging minds. So um, should be interesting as we think about what, how do we think about our bodies and minds as we, you know, as they begin to um, uh, deteriorate, yes, is, is the word, <laughs> yes. So um, that'll be the next two Sundays. And then I meant to uh, recommend this last week, I forgot, but uh, some of you have probably heard of this, Every Moment Holy, Volume 2. There's actually a third volume now, but this Volume 2 is uh, about death, grief, and hope. And it's a collection of prayers, and these are um, just uh, wonderful. I mean, these are, uh, they're deep, they're theologically sound, they're um, uh, poetic, uh, if you don't have this, I don't say this about many books, but if you don't have this, you need to have this in your in your personal library, um, both for yourself, but also um, there's prayers in here about... Um, let, let me just give you a couple uh, from the table of contents just to get a feel. Uh, uh, for when the news is bad, for seasons of uncertainty, um, uh, before a medical treatment, for dying well... Um, Let's see, Uh, for the loss of a loving parent, for the loss of a spouse, for grieving a death due to violence. You know, there's just, there's a lot in here, and they're just, they're beautiful. They're they're helpful. Um, I I highly recommend this. So since we're talking about death and funerals, um, I thought it'd be good to point this out. So um, there's also a mobile app where you can, you can get them on your, you can get these prayers on your phone and everything. Um. So check that out. Uh, this week, uh, the Christian funeral part two. So let me pray um, as we jump in. Our God and Father, we gather this morning as uh, your people, bought by the blood of your Son, who conquered death. And uh, it, it is such a privilege for us to um, be a part of your work in this world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the hope we have in Christ, our risen Savior. And even as we talk about um, uh, marking death today, we pray that you would continue to strengthen our hope in your promise to raise us up together with Christ one day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, let me just do a, a very quick review of, of what we covered last week, and um, just two things I want to point out. And, and one is, um, you know, historically Christian funerals, Christian practice around funerals has been built around this metaphor of pilgrimage, that um, as Christians, we are pilgrims. We're on the pilgrim way. We are, you know, in John Bunyan's uh, story, we are pilgrims headed for the celestial city. And um, the Christian life, uh, Scripture portrays it as this uh, a journey. 
and it, it has a beginning when we come to faith in Christ, and it, and it has, comes to an end. This earthly pilgrimage comes to an end at death. And the, and the early Christians saw the funeral as um, really the, the last mile of that earthly pilgrimage. And in a Christian funeral, we talked about this last week, the church accompanies the one who died to the place of farewell, to the place where the, the body or the remains are, are laid to rest, um, awaiting resurrection. And um, last so we talked about that, that imagery last week. We'll talk about it a little bit more today. Um, along with that, gave a gentle appeal to um, welcome the dead back to their own funeral services. So um, it's not real common any longer to have a, a funeral in the sense of um, the body is present, but it, it's very important. Um, I think uh, Thomas Lynch, who's a, an undertaker and has written a lot about this, he, he says having a, a funeral without a body is like having a wedding without a bride. And obviously there are times when it's not possible to have the body present, but um, it, it is important. It's something to at least um, give thought to since it, it's not as common any longer. Um, so pilgrimage. We talked about last week. Uh, I want to dive into a little more of the nature of a funeral and um, some of the purposes, and then there, there's a lot to cover, so I'm going to try to move quickly. The the final section today, I'm going to talk about what could uh, give a suggested order of service. What could a a funeral look like? So let's talk about the the nature of a funeral. Um, uh, it, a phrase that I think captures it is worshipful drama. Worshipful drama. I didn't originate this. This comes from Thomas Long, who's written a lot about uh, funerals. Uh, what do we mean by worshipful drama? It's just that word worshipful. A Christian funeral is a worship gathering. Now, it's different in, in many ways from our Sunday gatherings, but it is a, a gathering. Uh, it's still a worship gathering. And the church gathers before the face of God. So that's an important element for us to, to remember that, um, yes, we are gathering to be together with each other and provide comfort and, and consolation, um, but, but we are gathering before the, the face of God because of the death of one of his children. So the, the death of the person who has died is the occasion for this gathering. And, and just like on Sundays... We, we hear God speak to us and we respond in, in prayer and, and song. And we'll, we'll talk about that a bit. Um, uh, so it's important to remember this worshipful aspect. Um, a funeral is more than just custom or tradition. It's more than uh, just a convenient way to show support. It is those things, but it's, it's more. Um, and just some practical implications of this. Where should a funeral take place? Um, again, I'll, I'll give the caveats I gave last, last week. This isn't like there's a chapter and verse about this. These are suggestions. These are based on, uh, in some ways, just wisdom. Sometimes it's just practical necessity. But if you could choose, where, where should the funeral take place? I would say, um, you know, there's no single right answer. But I, I think the church building is preferable to the funeral home. Um, funeral homes are, um, you know, typically uh, religion-neutral 
places intentionally. They have to serve a, a great variety of, of people. Um, there's, there's no Christian uh, symbolism, typically Christian decor. Um, how much more fitting is it for the funeral to take place in the, in the building where the person who died gathered week by week to hear God's word proclaimed, celebrated the Lord's Supper with God's people, lifted their voice up with God's people in, in prayer and praise. Um, it, what, well, what if that's not possible? Uh, graveside is a, is a wonderful location. Um, the home, even. Um, I, and then, you know, some cases, a funeral home is, is what you got to do. And that's not... Even though I said I, I think the church building is preferable, um, it's not like the funeral home is like, well, God will just give us a pass this time. It, it's, a, it's an okay option, and sometimes it's the only option because of uh, space needed, um, accessibility, availability. Uh, all, so there's, there's a lot of you know, just practical questions that go into this. But, um, giving, but I do think it's important to give thought to the location. Um, so it's, it's worshipful drama. Uh, let's talk about um, drama, this idea of drama. Uh, Thomas Long, let me give you this quote. He says, when a Christian dies, the church gathers to act out the story of what this death means in the light of the gospel. That's what we mean by, by drama. I don't mean there's like a, a play that, that goes on. But um, a funeral tells a story. A Christian funeral tells the gospel story. It, it situates the, the life and death of the person who died within God's big story of, of his plan and purpose and his work to uh, redeem and renew this world. And so a, a good funeral um, tells this gospel story, acts out this gospel story, both in, in what we say which is, you know, I think most of us would say, yeah, funerals should be full of the gospel, full of scripture, full of um, Christian song, but also in the actions we perform. Now, um, this idea of drama might sound a little strange to some of us, but all of Christian worship is dramatic, is drama. I mean, think of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Uh, these are, are visible, um, dramatic... Uh, uh, declarations of gospel truth. Um, you know, you, we why do these things? Why you know? Why not just when it comes time to celebrate the Lord's Supper? Why not just sit quietly in our pews and and think about Jesus' death? Why do we need a, a bread and cup? You know, these are these are dramatic ways of portraying the truth of um, what these things point to. And same same with a funeral. Um, it's not just about the words that are said, but even the actions we perform can embody and proclaim the gospel. Now, uh, we talked a bit about this last week. I want to reiterate it. The, the story that a funeral tells, um, tying into this idea of pilgrimage, it began when the person came to faith and, and was baptized, right? We, we talked about Romans 6 last week. We were buried, therefore, with him, with Christ, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him 
in a resurrection like his. So uh, the, the, this person who has died, um, this Christian person who has died, when they came to faith in Christ and publicly proclaimed their faith in baptism, they set out on this pilgrim journey, and, the, and the, a journey that leads to the loving arms of God. And, and that's what the funeral is, is meant to um, portray, this reality that we have been united with Christ in his death, and we shall certainly be united with him in his resurrection. Let me give you another quote. I, I mentioned last week, Thomas Long has really influenced my thinking about Christian funerals, and he says things really well, so I'm just going to quote him. Um, in funerals, these same Christians, having traveled the pilgrim way, are once again buried with Christ in death in the sure confidence that they will be raised to new life. And so this is why I've, I've stressed um, that idea of, of movement and journey, the, the funeral um, portraying, proclaiming the reality that this, this Christian who has died in Christ is now with Christ. They've, they've finished their earthly journey, their body, their remains are laid to rest, awaiting resurrection. Um, he, uh, uh, Long goes on to say, While death may feel and look like the world coming apart and life dissolving into meaninglessness, through the lens of the funeral ritual, we can see it for what it truly is, a saint moving through the troubled waters into the promised land, a follower of Jesus traveling his same road from death to resurrection. So um, there's the nature of a funeral is this, this worshipful drama. Now, um, a question probably has come up in your mind. It's, it, it comes up in my mind as I think about this. You know, we believe that uh, when a Christian dies, you know, what did Paul say? Um, to be apart from the body, to be present with the Lord. We believe, you know, the person died. Let's say this person died. And even if the funeral took place uh, the next day, the person already died. The, the body is, is going to be laid to rest, but the soul is with the Lord. So why all this? They're already with the Lord. Why are we doing this, you know, this thing and, and portraying that? Well, let, let, me give you, um, let me give you an illustration. Um, my son, my oldest son, Abraham is um, he's going to uh, graduate in a, in a few months. He's going to finish up his coursework at UCSD in, in a few months. And then, um, uh, but the graduation ceremony won't happen until uh, later. So he's going to finish after the current um, academic quarter, but then come like June or something like that, he'll actually get to walk and, and you know, participate in the graduation ceremony and and you know he'll sit through this long ceremony where he'll hear lots of people's names called and at some point he'll receive a diploma or a it's actually not even the diploma it's just a a fake a ceremonial uh, piece of paper um the the official diploma probably come in the mail or something like that um but um the ceremony itself that he'll go through in in june uh, doesn't make him a graduate, right? 
I mean, at some point between finishing his coursework and the actual graduation ceremony, the faculty at the school will vote to grant a degree to him and the others who have finished uh, the requirements. And at that point, when the faculty votes, puts their stamp of approval on it, he's legally a a graduate, no longer a a student in that sense. But, um, you know... I shouldn't say but, but in fact, he doesn't even need to participate in the actual ceremony, right? Not not to be considered a graduate. Now, he needs to participate in it, or his mom's going to have something to say uh, about it. But um, why why the ceremony then? Well, the, the ceremony um, acts out what is already true about him, that, that there's been this transition from undergraduate student to, to graduate. Um, uh, but the ceremony is important, right? Even though the ceremony doesn't make him a graduate, it, it's an important uh, way of, of participating in the reality of, of what has happened. And I'd say likewise, that's, that's what goes on in a funeral. Um, the, it ritually marks this very significant event in the life of of a child of God that they've they've finished their earthly pilgrimage they've they've transitioned from earthly pilgrimage to the presence of God awaiting um, bodily resurrection so the the nature of a funeral worshipful drama just like every other aspect of of Christian worship now. Let me talk a little bit about the purposes of a funeral. And, and it's intentionally plural, purposes. There's not like a single purpose to a Christian funeral. There's, there's multiple um, things that, that we're seeking to do and achieve. And, and the way I want to do this, um, part of my goal last week, this week, is to help us recapture a more robust understanding of funerals. And so the way I want to do this is kind of compare... Um, kind of the typical American understanding of a funeral, the typical Christian understanding of a funeral, and then what a, a more robust Christian understanding of a funeral um, could be. So um, let's, let's go through this. Um, typical American account, um, one purpose would be to help the attendees internally process their grief. A second purpose would be to remember and honor the deceased and their family. Now, these are commendable goals, and, and I think these things ought to happen at any funeral, including a, a Christian funeral. But I, I think we need to ask, is that, is that all? And, and typically Christians have said, no, there's more. There's more. And so the, the typical Christian account would say, it's not just about internally processing my grief um, individualistically, but expressing grief in the community of, of God's people and the family members and friends of the deceased. Um, likewise, it would be uh, a goal would be remembering the deceased in community among God's people. Um, so there's a, a little bit sharper focus, typically in, in a Christian account, of, um, of a funeral on the, the community of God's people. And then also, this would be a, a big addition declaring gospel hope in community. All, these are all um, 
wonderful things. Let me, let me state some positive things about this view. Um, it recognizes the importance of expressing grief. So notice it's not just processing grief, but expressing it um, verbally and in other ways among God's people. Uh, it recognizes the importance of the Christian community. We don't grieve alone. We don't, we don't walk this path by ourselves. We, we weep with and for each other. Um, it, it recognizes the importance of giving hope. Um, you know, the typical American account, uh, there's not much hope that can be given, right? If, if you don't have any, any awareness of, of a God who raises the dead, of a Savior who has come and, and borne the curse of our sins and defeated death and, and offers everlasting life to all who trust him, you don't have much you can say. Uh, the typical Christian account would say, no, we have gospel hope. Now, some shortcomings um, of this view. Um, the, the grief here lacks a, a distinctly Christian shape, and you'll see what I mean in a moment. It, it may be we're sad, but um, it, is, it might maybe is lacking some Christian um, uh, shape to that, to that grief. Uh, the hope proclaimed often is, is ill-defined. And so even at, at Christian funerals, often it's like, well, they're in a better place, or um, they aren't suffering any longer. Now, we believe as Christians that's true, right? For, for a Christian man or woman who has died, they, they are in a better place. They are no longer suffering, but what is that place, and why aren't they suffering? And, and often that doesn't um, get as... Uh, the, the specificity of our Christian hope is kind of lacking often. It, it is more um, just uh, not quite platitudes, but um, maybe falls short of the specific hope of bodily resurrection from the dead in union with Jesus Christ. And so a more robust Christian account would be we express our grief as lament. I know some of this is hard. If you're sitting in the back, it might be hard to see. Express our grief as lament to the Lord. Practice placing this grief in God's hands. We rehearse God's solidarity with the grieving. Um, so we do more than, than express that we're sad. We, we bring this grief before God. That See, lament is bringing our grief, our sorrow, our anger, our confusion before God's face. Um, this is not how things are supposed to be, God. Um, sin and death, look, God, look at the, the destruction sin and death have, have wreaked in this world and specifically on this person we love. Um, how long, O oh Lord, until you make all things new? Um, and so in a, in a more robust Christian funeral, there's going to be readings and prayers and songs that, that give voice to this lament directed to the Lord and trusting it to Him. Saying, Lord, you've got to do something and we're, we're trusting that you're going to make things right. That this isn't the final uh, word on the matter, this person's death. Um, we, so we also remember the deceased's in Christ identity. So we looked at Romans 
I read Romans 6 uh, a few moments ago, but we've been united to Christ in our baptism, united in, with him in his death, united with him in his resurrection. And we, we not only want to remember the person, um, and uh, we, we do want to remember the person, we want there to be some, some personal aspects to this gathering. I mean, this isn't just some... Um, generic ritual we're going through. There's a, uh, an individual who died. And so it's appropriate to have remembrances and, and other ways, stories, other, other things about the person that, that are a part of the service. Um, but in a more robust Christian understanding of the funeral, uh, it, these remembrances are about more than just telling funny anecdotes about the individual. Or sometimes, I've been in some services where it veers into like really embarrassing and, and to some degree inappropriate uh, stories of the person. Um, our goal is to testify to how the grace of God, Thomas Long would put it this way, how the grace of God was refracted through this person's life. And, and that doesn't at all mean we don't tell a story, um, because God's grace is refracted in the particulars of, of our lives. And so we want to remember some of the uniqueness of this person, but in particular, this person uh, being a, a child of God, a, a man or woman in Christ, and united to him. And then third purpose um, would be announcing resurrection hope. So announce the death-defying good news of Jesus' resurrection and declare our specific hope in the resurrection of the body. I forgot to say, a lot of this comes from uh, John Whitvliet, who uh, is a theologian and uh, did a workshop on funerals. So if you ever come across something, you're like, I've seen that before. I, I didn't create this. Um, but notice the, the specificity of this third, third purpose. It's not just, well, they're no longer suffering, they're in a better place, but... Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has died and has, been, and has raised, and he has defeated death. And so we have gathered because this person has died, but because of Christ, we declare our hope that this body will get up out of the grave one day, or these ashes will be transformed into um, uh, a, a glorified body, um, that this is not the end. Um, the, the hope we have is, is a real hope. It's not just some mental gymnastics we go through to make ourselves feel better, but there, there is a, a gospel of, of good news that, that death has not won. It, it may seem like it in the moment, but ultimately it has not one and so um, you know, just think of um, if you're in you know you're at a funeral and you're in you're in the church or you're at the graveside or or at the crematorium, and and you declare this hope, sure and certain hope and confidence in the resurrection of the body. I mean, imagine you're surrounded by grave markers. You're at the graveyard and you're saying, Christ one day is going to raise this person to life. I mean, that is. On the one hand, some people there might think you are crazy because <laughs> look at all the gravestones. But that it's an act of, of declaration. Uh, in in some, do, some ways, they're like fighting words. <laughs> We're saying, death, you're not going to ultimately win. 
Jesus does. Um, and so John Whitley um, and, and says, and, and I agree with him here, that uh, titling these services um, as a, a service of witness to the resurrection is, is a powerful way, even in the way we talk about the service, to, to give testimony to our hope in the, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So uh, that's just a, a quick um, kind of overview of some of the purposes of a Christian funeral. Um, what I want to do now is just uh, walk through uh, a suggested pattern. And, and that word suggested is, is intentional. This is a suggestion of how to, um, this is one way to embody many of the things we've talked about. Um, the structure I'm going to present is, is somewhat flexible. And it, and it gives room for um, variation depending on um, needs and circumstances. It, it allows for personalization based on you know, the, the family, the individual who has died. Um, but I will say this, a, a predefined structure to the funeral is really helpful to the grieving family. And some of you who have had to um, plan a service for a loved one or a friend know this. Um, when, when a family member or friend dies, uh, I mean, the family is thrown into grief, even if it was an expected death. You know, there's, there's so many emotions they're dealing with. There's so many practical things they're dealing with, you know. Uh, picking people up from the airport and and arranging you know arranging a place and all this the last thing they really need to do is to to sit down for a, a, an extended amount of time and try to figure out how do we honor this person at the service it's it's much more helpful if the pastor whoever's arranging this can say here here's kind of an outline of of how we can do this um, uh, and and in some ways. Um, it allows them to, you know, they can focus on grieving rather than, you know, the particulars of the flow of the service. So uh, there's kind of four parts, I would say, to, to any good funeral. Um, the first is gathering in God's name and, and um, what would happen at this, at this point. Um, so God calls us together, and, and he's called us together in, in the past, we have confidence that he'll meet us when we gather. And so, um, uh, uh, again, a funeral is a worshipful uh, gathering, um, different from Sundays, but in many ways similar. The thing that sets it apart is someone from our congregation, someone from the family of God has, has died. And so uh, we gather, and it begins with a greeting or a welcome um, you know, just imagine, um, let's imagine it t taking place in this room. You know, the, the congregation's seated like you all are right now. Time for the funeral has arrived. And um, the, the pastor would begin the, the service by doing three things. Um, first, greeting and welcoming the congregation. And, and second, um, telling the congregation what this service is about. Um, there's many ways this could be done. There's, there's some traditional language that, that is often used. Um, let me, let me uh, tell you. Welcome in the name of Jesus, the Savior of the world. We are here to worship, to proclaim Christ crucified and risen, to remember before God our sister or brother, and, and we can name them, um, to give thanks for, for his or her life, 
to commend him or her to our merciful Redeemer and to comfort one another in our grief. Now, that language can be, you know, almost infinitely customized, but but it explains the purpose. We are here uh, gathered before the face of God to worship him, to proclaim our hope in his son, and to comfort each other as we remember this uh, person. And and kind of the, the third part of this greeting and welcome, um, the, the past, and often uh, the, the language from Romans 6 is used, all who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ in his or her, whoever, let's say, in in, I'm going to use Craig as my dead person. In, in, uh, sorry to Craig's family. <laughs> in, in Craig's baptism, he was clothed with Christ. Uh, in the day of Christ's coming, he shall be clothed with glory. So the, the greeting and welcome sets a tone uh, to the service and, and sets, kinda sets out what this is about. Now, here's a question. And, and again, this gets into the... the um, what, what would you call it, the, the choreography of, of this worshipful drama. Where should the pastor be when, when, when this happens? Um, again, no single right or wrong answer, but one, um, one powerful way to do this is, um, you know, ideally there's a, a casket or the cremated remains present, and the pastor meets the, the family and the casket at the entrance of the church, and at the entrance of the church, in our case, kind of right in that doorway, would, would, the congregation would be facing him and he would declare these things to the congregation. And, or from here, obviously, uh, from the front. But um, if that feels too formal, you know, there's, there's ways around that. But as part of that, if the pastor starts there, that leads to the next step, the procession to the front. So the pastor walks in front of the casket or the cremated remains, whatever, um, to the front of the church. And um, an option, while, the, while the, the pastor and the pallbearers make their way to the front with the family, reciting um, scripture. I am the resurrection and the life, says the Lord. Whoever believes in me Though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Um, other scripture could also be appropriate. Um, instead of reading scripture, the, it could be a silent procession, and the congregation sings a, a hymn, um, Abide with me, or Great is thy faithfulness, or, or something along those lines, with the family following behind the casket, taking their place in the front of the church. Um, Prayer of invocation, just um, led by the pastor, you know, calling on God to to meet his people in this gathering. Sometimes I um, before I pray, um, I read uh, Psalm 121 um, or some other appropriate scripture just to to help frame the this uh, service, and then I pr- and then the prayer, calling on God to to be present, to be a help. Um, uh, I'll give you an example of, of a kind of prayer I often use. Um, our gracious God and Father in heaven, with all our hearts, we seek your face uh, this morning, afternoon. We lift our eyes and hearts up to you because our help comes from you. Um, I would talk about, Father, our hearts are heavy. Uh, there's a deep sorrow within us. Um, 
talking about the grief that we have. Um, Be to us a father today and draw us to yourself. Um, Uphold our broken hearts. Uh, Lord Jesus, you're the risen one. Um, You've conquered death. Here in our time of sorrow, kindle afresh our hope. Um, Remind us that our song will not always be one of lament. Uh, Joy will come in the morning of our resurrection to life with you. Holy Spirit, be our comforter today. Bring the grace of our Savior to bear on our grief. Strengthen, steady us, um, and so on. You know, it's, it's a... It's, a, it's not just a formality. We're, we're calling on our God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to, to meet us and, and help us. Um, this is not very common, but I think needs to be more common. Prayers of lament. Now, this could just be part of the, the prayer of invocation that the pastor offers. This could be um, maybe a, a trusted family member or friend. Uh, praise uh, a prayer. Um, but, you know, I said last week, death is not a friend. It's not, a, it's not just a natural part of life. It's, death is an enemy. And even the death of a Christian is, a, is a, a, something that calls for sorrow and grief and mourning. And so we need to be given time to, to grieve, even in the service. And so Sometimes set aside for prayers of lament. It could be, instead of somebody praying a prayer, it could be a we recite a psalm. It could be, um, could even be, a, and I'll talk in a moment, it, it could be, instead of a prayer, it's, it's a song that serves as our prayer of lament. But giving the necessary time and space for this, not just a perfunctory yeah, we're sad, but we're happy in Jesus because, you know, it, you know, sometimes it's like you got like a four-second window <laughs> of talking about grief. Um, but we gather in God's name. So this is a, a worshipful gathering. Um, we come before the face of God. We, we call on him to be present as our, our help and our, our redeemer and our savior. Um, second big movement, hearing God's word hearing God's word. Um, We need to hear, especially in a time of death, we need to hear God's gracious, comforting, hope-filled promises and word. Um, This is always, in some ways, some of the hardest part of of leading a funeral is I got to get up and talk to people who are experiencing, you know, all kinds of emotions, and what am I going to say? Well, I've got God's word. Um, and we need to hear it. And so, um, you know, scripture readings are appropriate. I I recommend readings from both the Old Testament and the New, um, and at least one from the Gospels. Um, How many? Well, again, it really depends on on the service and the the people and the circumstances, maybe two to three, maybe more. Um, Which passages? Which passages? Now, often we when planning a service, we think, well, what was the person's favorite passages? And I, and I think that's a good, good thing to ask. It might not give you the best readings for the service. And so we really want to um, focus on passages that, that hold out the comfort of the gospel. Um, and that may include or may not include some of the, the deceased's favorite passages. But, you know, things like Psalm 23, John 14, um, portions of Romans 8, neither death nor life 
can separate us from the love of God. Um, so some, some time for scripture readings and then a, a sermon or a homily. A homily is a short sermon. <laughs> I, I do recommend that, um, that the, whatever sermon or homily is given is brief. What, what were you going to say, Marcia? Short. I mean, people only have, there's so much going on in their hearts and minds, their, their attention span is going to be limited, and so brief is, is good. Um, uh, a sermon that focuses on the gospel. Uh, Thomas Long talks about a, a sermon that, that brings in the gospel to unmask death's lies. So he says at every funeral, there's, there's two preachers. There's the, the pastor, the minister, and there's death, capital D, death. Capital D death trying to say, look, you know, there's a casket, there's whatever, cremated remains. Look, I always win. And so he says that the pastor's job, the minister's job, is to proclaim the gospel to unmask that, that lie, to counter that, that alternative sermon that's, that's going on. Um, reciting a creed together, uh, to the Apostles' Creed, which affirms... Uh, faith in the resurrection of the dead, among other things. Um, why? Why, why recite, a, recite a creed together? Well, in part, it, it allows the, the voice of the worshiping community to be heard. Again, remember, this is God's people accompanying the deceased on the last leg of the journey. And um, the, the community of God's people voices their hope in, in Christ, in the gospel, um, enables us to confess in familiar words, our trust and hope in God's promises. Um, and then again, in this section, songs and hymns of comfort. So in the first section, the songs and hymns may be focused more on grief, lament. Here in this section, um, songs that, that start to make that transition to the, the hope, the comfort the, um, of the gospel. And, um, you know, you, you, there's so many different songs that could be chosen, but Great is Thy Faithfulness, Be Still My Soul. Uh, there's a newer hymn, um, Christ the Sure and Steady Anchor. Um, and, and again, I have them listed here as, as bullet points, but there's flexibility in the order of these things. You know, songs could be done throughout. It could be you wait to do the songs until the end of this section. You begin this section with songs or whatever. But... You just get the idea. We, we gather in God's name. We hear God's word. There's a third um, movement I, th- I think that is important, and that is praying together. And, and I would say one part of this is, could be remembrances. Um, and this is an opportunity to talk specifically about the deceased. And um, I like John Whitley, I mentioned earlier, he talks about this as, as kind of preludes to prayer. So the remembrances um, are an opportunity to, to talk about the things for which we can give thanks to God for this person, the, the things that kind of lead us into prayers of thanksgiving to God. Um, this, you know, the remembrances could be done earlier in the service, they could be done here. What's the focus? And I already mentioned this earlier, but how God's grace was seen in this person's life. And I don't mean that it's like a, you know, just kind of this fictitious story about how perfect this person was or anything like that. But um, the, the remembrances that are told should lead us to um, give God thanks and praise for what he's done in their life. Um, 
who should do this or, or how should it be done. Um, so many options here. Uh, the, the pastor who's leading the service could read a, a short biographical sketch that was prepared by the family or, or that he helped prepare with the family. Um, could be a trusted family member. Um, my opinion, open mic is a bad idea. Um, I have seen it done well. Um, I've also seen it not done well. And um, I, I think it, um, time for kind of extemporaneous or spontaneous sharing could be set aside later at a reception or a family meal after the service where um, there's a lot less pressure. I mean, if, you know, public speaking is rated as like one of the, the most significant fears that people have. And somebody's just going to like spontaneously get up in front of a bunch of people they don't know when someone they love has died and, and say anything that's helpful. Um, not many people can do that. Um, that's my opinion. <laughs> Some of you have been to services where it's not gone well, and you probably agree. Um, what else? Prayers of, of thanksgiving and intercession. So the, again, the focus, giving God thanks for the life of his child who, who has died, but also um, uh, praying for those who, are, who remain, the family and friends of, of the one who has died. And so it's a great opportunity to just acknowledge their, their grief, their loss, and, and pray for God to be an ever-present help to them. Um, Another option after uh, the prayers of thanksgiving and intercession, the congregation recites the Lord's Prayer together. Again, part of this is um, bringing in familiar words in a service. You know, it, it's hard to, to think of what to say in the, in the middle of something as emotionally taxing as a funeral. And the, the Lord's Prayer is a great way, again, for the congregation's voice to be heard. Um, and then songs, hymns of resurrection hope. So, um, again, the, the placement of the songs is flexible. The number of songs is flexible. But, but do you see how um, there's, a, there's an intentional focus of the song selections? We begin with songs of, of lament and grief. We move to songs of, of comfort and then we, we end with songs of resurrection hope. Now, typically what, what is done is, okay, what was the deceased's favorite songs? Let's just do those. And those may or may not give you appropriate songs, right? I mean, I like the Beastie Boys. Are we going to do the Beastie Boys at a funeral? No. <laughs> um, but this, this gives us um, a, a specific kind of gospel journey. Here, uh, we're confronted with death and we grieve. We're reminded of God's promises that gives us comfort, and then they point us to the hope we have in in Christ and the resurrection from the dead. And so, um, you know, there's there's so many hymns here for all the saints. It is well with my soul. Um, some newer ones: We will feast in the house of Zion. Um, Christ, our hope in life and death. Yeah, do you do you all know that song? by the Gettys and Matt Boswell and uh, Matt Papa. It's a newer song, um, kind of based on the Heidelberg Catechism question and answer number one. But, I mean, this song is so appropriate at, at a funeral. 
Um, check it out if, if you haven't heard it before. Um, I encourage you to listen to it. Um, so gathering God's name, hear God's word, pray together. There's a final move in, in, the, um, in a good funeral, the committal, the committal. Um, Thomas Long calls this the climax of the funeral. And, and in my experience, this is the part that's often skipped. <laughs> and he thinks it's the, like, you know, the high point. Um, he says, uh, the community of faith carries the deceased to the grave and bids farewell entrusting her or him to God. Um, there's a few steps in this. Um, commendation. And this could be done at the end of the service. Um, if the congregation won't be present at the graveside, it could be done at the graveside. But either way, um, the, the person leading the service turns to the, the casket or cremated remains and commends them to the Lord. Um, something along the lines of, Into your hands, O merciful Savior, we commend your servant, Craig, whoever, acknowledge, we humbly pray, a sheep of your own fold, a lamb of your own flock, a sinner of your own redeeming. Receive him or her into the arms of your mercy, into the blessed rest of everlasting peace, and into the glorious company of the saints in light. Amen. It doesn't need to be that formal. It could be something simpler, but um, some way of acknowledging that um, this funeral is, uh, again, taking place before the face of God, and we're entrusting this person to God's loving care. Um, Now, if that does happen, um, too many services end after this point, and everybody disperses, and we're done. But but really, the funeral isn't over yet. Um, Remember the, the metaphor, the working metaphor we have, this pilgrimage, this journey to the place of farewell. Um... The pastor at this point could lead the the pallbearers um, out of the church building and the congregation processes to the gravesite. Um, again, and it could be a casket that's going to go in the ground. It could be an urn that's going to be placed in some kind of vault. It, it could be, we're not going to the, the gravesite, we're going to the crematorium. Maybe not everybody, but family, friends, some from the, the congregation. Um, but this important, this last, um, this last movement is so important. Um, words of committal. Um, you know, it, it could be we're there at, let's say, at the at the gravesite. A um, few uh, short, brief passages of scripture could be read, um, and then. If it's an earth burial, as the, the casket's lowered into the grave, and while soil's you know, placed on the casket, the pastor would say something like, in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ, we commend to Almighty God, the, um, our brother or sister, so-and-so, and we commit his or her body to the ground, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And then a a paraphrase from Revelation 14. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord, says the Spirit. They rest from their labors and their works follow them. Um, So again, it's it's naming what is happening. That that, um, we are saying farewell to our brother or sister in Christ, but we are doing so in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection from the dead. And, and the same thing could be done at a crematory um, rather than um, 
saying we're committing their body to the ground. It would be we commit his or her body to um, be returned to the elements. But it's the same idea. We're, we're commending them to the Lord, committing them to his care, putting our hope in God's promise, gospel promise of resurrection from the dead. And then um, some concluding prayers. So um, how many of you hear all this and you're thinking, that's way too much <laughs> to do? Uh, it is a lot. Um, it doesn't need to, but it doesn't need to take hours. Um, it, it will take some time. Um, but it, but the, the, I think the important part is not to do every single one of these things, but to get these broad move, capture these broad movements. We gather in God's presence. We, we hear God's word. We pray together. And, and then we commit our, our brother or sister to the Lord. All the specifics under each of those, you know, can be adapted as necessary. But, um, but, I, but I think if we, if we did something along these lines, it's going to be a, a good funeral. Good as in appropriate, not good as in we all had a wonderful time. Um, but it, it's, it's a significant moment. Um, death is inevitable, as we talked about, and this is a, a way to um, mark that death um, with gospel hope and, and appropriate um, affection and honor for the deceased. Now, um, a few weeks ago, I, uh, I sort of revamped, resurrected, maybe I'll use the word resurrected, uh, my website and I put some of these resources on there, if you, if because there was a lot there. If you want to look up, I have scripture references, suggested hymns, those kinds of things. Um, if you don't want to get this right now, I can give you a link later. But um, I, I could have told you that before you took all the notes. But I thought it'd be better to have you pay attention. Um, we've got a few minutes uh, remaining. Um, does anybody have maybe? Um, I meant to ask this last week. I'll start with this one. What have you seen done well at a funeral? What, what have you seen at a funeral or a memorial service that you thought, you know what, that was really, that, that was good. We, um, I want to do that at mine or somebody else's. Um, we talked about how we've seen them go off the rails, but anybody's seen anything done well? Mark. Yeah. Yeah. So just speaking of what the Bible says, not trying to, you know, prognosticate about the individual if you didn't know them. Yeah. What questions do you have about funerals? What rebuttals do you have about funerals? Amen. Okay. Yeah. 
Maria. So ultimately, um, you know, every family is going to have to decide uh, and um, have to decide maybe with each individual child knowing, you know, their age, where they're at, how it might affect them, you know, depending on who the deceased is. It, was it just like kind of an acquaintance of the family or was it like really close family member? Ultimately, parents are going to have to decide. In general, I would say I think it's good for kids to, to be at a funeral. Um, uh, you know, we, we don't really do that. We do them a disservice by trying to hide the reality of death. Now, I've got one kid where I'm like, I don't know that I would bring him to a funeral right now. I just don't think it would be good for him. Um, but, but in general, I, I think it's appropriate. It's good. Um, past generations lived much closer to death than, than we do. Um, not to say that, that it was easier for them, but... Um, Sometimes we, you know, we talked about we're, our culture is squeamish about death, and um, it, it can be helpful for children to learn that this is a reality. Um, I, the first funeral I went to, I was probably about seven or eight years old. It was for my um, great-grandmother. I, I wasn't super close with her, but you know, I, I knew her, and it, it was quite a shock for me. I'd never been to anything like this, and um, it was, uh, I'm trying to remember, I think it was a, it was a real um, fancy um, Episcopal church near, I think it was near Philadelphia, um, open casket, uh, you know, people dressed in black, um, uh, it's still, I mean, I can still remember some of the details. I don't remember the specifics of the service, but I, I remember thinking, well, this is, I've never seen anything like this. But, it, but I think it was appropriate. Uh, Umberto. Um, again, there's no like right or wrong answer here. You know, it's not like the Bible says X, Y, Z, and we just need to do what the Bible says. A lot of this is wisdom, custom, necessity. Um, uh, some pro- in some Protestant traditions, there's a real hesitancy to have an open casket, and I think in part because of abuses in the past around the the dead and all that. But but in general, I, I think it's appropriate for there to be an open casket. Um, you know, depending on the culture, the, the family, you know, physical kissing the hand or the forehead, totally appropriate. Um, I mean, we have records of even just formally in some of the historic Christian funeral liturgies, this was a part of um, the, the mourners would kiss the deceased person on the forehead as kind of the final holy kiss. 
Um, I mean, if there was some like superstitious idea attached to that, then I would say let's not do that. But if it's just a display of affection from family and friends, I think it's appropriate. Again, you know, it, in a lot of circles in, in American society, we're very uncomfortable with death and dead bodies, and so we're going to say, no, let's keep that thing, let's keep that lid closed. Why would I ever touch the, the corpse? But I, I do think it can be a beautiful, appropriate thing. Um, one upside of having the, the casket open is, again, it, it faces us with the reality of our mortality. Like, uh, death isn't just an idea. Like, there's a dead person right here in our midst with us. Um, Stephanie, did you have your, or somebody back there? Um, some suggestions. Um, just be a listening ear. Um, express your your sympathy, empathy. I, I'm so sorry for you. Um, you. You don't need to rush in with, but you know, or remember, um, they know those things. You know, the the mourners know those things. At the moment, it's time to weep with those who weep. You know, Paul talks, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. The, the funeral, um, you, you don't need to speed them along to like, okay, I'm, I'm skipping in, in joy in Jesus now. <laughs> like, let, them, let them mourn. Um, yes, at some point, it, it will, maybe not that day, but at some point, uh, it can be appropriate to bring in the gospel hope and, and comfort them with gospel hope, but... Um, Grief and mourning and lament need to be expressed and experienced. And so, I mean, that's, that's one thing that comes to mind is just giving them space. Um, for the people at the funeral, for the family and close friends, the whole thing's a blur. It's only later that um, they'll maybe think back and be, oh, I remember at the funeral we said this or we did this. Um, there's, there's lots more. Um, I did think... We probably need some sessions on how do you how do you minister to those who are um, mourning, grieving the death of a loved one. I'll, I'll call on Kevin, and then we need to wrap up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if they're present, they are participating in all that's going on. They're hearing it. Um, and, and again, I mean, I think making clear, like if there's points in the service where we're reciting something, um, you know, making it clear, you don't have to recite this, but if, you know, um, there's ways to say, you know, if you, if you would like to, please join us as we, we recite, you know, the Apostles' Creed or um, as we sing this hymn. Um, I think just some of the the tone of the person leading the service uh, can help 
just you know welcoming them, acknowledging there's a variety of people. Um, I, I don't think it's appropriate at funerals to kind of like, um, you know, you're like, it's all about getting the lost saved, and you kind of just like constantly call them out in the service and make them feel super uncomfortable. I don't think that's appropriate. Um, but, yeah. All right. We need, we need to wrap up. I can, I can talk with you afterwards. We, we need to wrap up. I'm going to let you go. Um, I know there's a lot of unanswered questions. There's a lot more that could be said, but um, I hope this gets us at least thinking about these things and, and what, can be, uh, what could be done to the glory of God. I, if you have other questions, I would be more than happy to talk to you at some point today or, or another time um, talking about these things. So let me pray and we'll be done. Our God and Father, once again, we uh, what tremendous hope and confidence we have in Christ who defeated death. And um, even as we think about the, the inevitability of death and our own mortality, we pray that it would be an occasion for us to um, deepen and strengthen our confidence in our Savior we pray that you would help each of us to, to think wisely and well about uh, finishing well and how that can even be um, expressed in, in our funeral service or the funeral service of a loved one. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.